So, Matt, the other day, my friend had a peekaboo accident. A peekaboo accident? Yeah. Yeah. What's a peekaboo accident? It's one that's bad enough to put you in the ICU. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Hey, I'm good, man. Good deal. Um, so before we get into it, I want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can go there and find a list of shows that we're proud to be associated with and proud to be members of the Podbelly Network. Um, you might find a show on there that you wouldn't run across any other way. So go over to podbelly.com and check them out. They've also got tips and tricks on how to start a podcast and record and stuff if you're interested in that. Um, while you're on the internet doing your looking around and stuff, uh, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and sign up to become a patron. We've got three different levels um, and we try to do a bonus episode every week. Plus our $10 a month patrons, they get the video versions of us recording these episodes. So you get to see the mistakes, the mess ups, the, Sometimes when we start laughing at something stupid or one of the dogs does something in the background that I would normally cut out of the audio, it'll stay in the video for the patrons. Um, and recently, the patronage has become very important to us. Um, we mentioned it before, but um, we had some equipment failure. And if we did not have you patrons, we wouldn't be able to keep the show going. So you literally are the reason that Graveyard Tales is still going. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't catastrophic, but it almost became that way. <laughs> almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you guys are, are the reason we do this and, you know, you're the ones that are that are pushing us through and uh, Adam's right. We, we would have been, we would have been in danger of, of missing more than a few deadlines mm -hmm. had it not been for your donations. Right. So, you know, we, we sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, we do. So if you want to get our attempt at a thank you, because it's not ever going to be enough, um, go over there and check out our videos and stuff that we put up on patreoncom slash graveyard tales. Also, if you want to give us a rate and review on whatever podcast app you're listening to, iTunes helps the most, but um, go over there and give us a five-star review and say something. Uh, it helps if you say a little something. Uh, you don't have to, but we do appreciate it. All right, y'all. So let me tell you about the latest true crime podcast that I can't stop listening to, and that's Morning Cup of Murder. Now, you remember those desktop calendars that would tell you about what happened on that day in history? 
Well, Morning Cup of Murder took that idea and they turned it into a daily podcast that now has over 850 episodes that go into serial killers, cults, cold cases, murders, and more. Morning Cup of Murder is the best way to start your day because each episode is less than 10 minutes long, so it's perfect to sit and listen to while you're having your first cup of coffee in the morning or, as our UK friends do, their first cup of tea in the morning. Now, Morning Cup of Murder can be heard anywhere you listen to podcasts, so check out Morning Cup of Murder today. Um, Now, Matt, that's all I've got. So, why don't you tell us? What are we talking about tonight, brother? Well, tonight we've got we've got a very special guest coming on. Um, I, I think this is this is going to be uh, enjoyable for all of you listeners. This is something I, I've never I've never experienced anything quite like this before or seen anything. Um, we are going to have Josh Werner uh, as our special guest tonight. The cool thing about Josh is that he uh, writes and publishes a comic book based on the Winchester Mystery House. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, not not something I would ever think about. Um, is somebody actually creating a a a, a well, I guess maybe it's maybe it's a graphic novel. Yeah. I, I don't know what I don't really know the difference. Um, but, but the illustrations are amazing. Um, Adam and I both have a copy. Um, it's, it's really cool. The stories are fantastic. And Josh is going to talk to us tonight about, you know, how he came up with the idea working with Winchester mystery house and, and the folks there. Um, and hopefully he's going to have some fantastic factoids that, we may not have covered in our show about the Manchester, the Winchester Mystery House. Right. It's cool that he um, he got to work there with the staff and the house. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking to him about what he experienced and if he experienced anything there. Um, and just introducing you guys to uh, another writer and artist so you can go check out his stuff. Um, I know Michael loves it because Michael's an aspiring artist, so he loves the yeah. the artwork in there, and it kind of it's one of those things where you don't see often graphic novels or comics done on the topics that we discuss. Right. You do about oh, there's vampires, or you do about oh, here's a ghost, but you don't about stuff like the Winchester Mystery House. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, sit back and enjoy our talk tonight with Josh Werner. All right, everybody. So here is the guest that we have been teasing to you. Um, We're super excited about this interview that we've got with Josh here. So Josh, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself and let everybody know what you do? Awesome. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Werner. I am the uh, the chief creative officer of Oxine Media, which is a big media company that uh, that owns SourcePoint Press. SourcePoint Press is a comic and book and graphic novel publishing company, and I'm also the editor in chief of that company. Uh, and I founded that company uh, ten years ago this year. And on top of that, I'm also uh, a writer and an illustrator. 
So I do a lot of, um, uh, I write a lot of uh, books and comic books. And uh, my current series is the Winchester Mystery House. And it has been a wild ride writing this series. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. So, Josh, what what drew you to the Winchester Mystery House? I mean, you know, there's dozens of places you could have chosen to do something like this. But Adam and I were were talking about in the intro, we've never seen anything quite like, you know, a, a series like this for a specific location. So, I mean, what 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 led you to go we can we could do an an entire series on this one place so i've i've been i've been really really into the history and the lore surrounding this house for a long time and i've read uh, i've i've read you know articles in all those like you know top 10 haunted places magazines that uh, it always stood apart from some of the other ones um because it had such a unique storyline and it was on such a bigger scope than anyone that has like a particular tragedy and um, i always found it fascinating and uh, i watched a lot of documentaries about it and kind of started deep diving on my research with it and one day um, i was talking with one of our game designers we also have a board game division and we had published a game called floor plan and floor plan is a game where you uh, you are designing houses and architecture to specifically meet clients' needs that pop up in the game. So you're competing against other, you know, construction companies to try to win the gig by designing the perfect house. And mm. we were chatting and he said, he lives in California. And he said, have you ever heard of the Winchester Mystery House? I was like, yeah, of course, I absolutely have. <laughs> He's like, wouldn't it be cool if we did a whole new version of this game and that version was specific to that house. And you were working for Sarah Winchester. She was your client. And then her, her desires or her, her needs or demands for your construction would be much different because it would be bizarre and eccentric and not always make sense. And there'd be some of the goals you'd be striving for would be specific rooms in the house. And then he's like, you know, we could even expand upon it. We could, we could make it, you know, the original game was only one floor. And I'm like, well, we couldn't do just one floor in the Winchester Mystery House. It's meant to be big. And he's like, what if we figured out a way to do multiple floors in the game? And then I was like, well, what about ghosts? We'd have to include the ghosts. And he's like, wow, okay, yeah, let's take this whole new direct, you know, direction with this. So we put together this pitch package and we approached uh, the estate uh, to talk about this game idea we had because we were just so set on it. We're like, maybe we can make it and they can sell it in their gift shop. Um, and throughout the conversations, they started realizing like, wow, you know quite a bit uh, about the house and you feel really passionate about Sarah Winchester as a person. And I said, yeah, I really do. I said, you know, one of the things that really bothers me is, uh, is her portrayal, you know, throughout time and the way that like the lore is portrayed her by, by so many mm. dates all the way back to her lifetime. While she was still alive, there was all these newspapers in San Jose where writing articles about her like gossip columns almost and like, Oh, this insane woman uh, terrified of, of dying in horrible grief builds crazy haunted mansion. And I mean, these are like real, real articles. And th that sort of those stories started circling while she was still alive. And yet she was so smart 
And she spoke so many languages and so many of the things that she put in the house were so ahead of their time. Yeah. Um, she was inventing things before they existed. And then on top of that, her wealth and her dedication to building this house, it created this mini economy. She had hundreds of people that she was paying top dollar to that built up an entire area, which is now Silicon Valley. I have no doubt like the thriving success of that area all stemmed from her. Mm-hmm. And I said, those are the things you don't ever hear about. And they, uh, they're like, wow, that's a, uh, that's really, really cool. You have a really, you know, really interesting take on her. And we really like that, you know, that you're, you're not stuck on this idea of her having some kind of mental illness. I said, I don't think it's mentally ill to have motivations that we don't necessarily understand. And, um, and that we don't, maybe we never will, you know, fully understand her, her reasons for everything she did. And they asked me, so well, what did you think about the movie? Uh, I said, I love the movie, uh, the movie starring Helen Mirren. I said, I especially loved Helen's performance in the film. She portrayed Sarah so awesomely. And uh, I said, but in my opinion, it kind of barely scratched the surface. And she was building this house for decades. You skipped about 30 years of story of crazy <clears throat> things that she did and things she had to battle and what she had to go up against when she was building this house. You picked this one moment in time. I said, her story is, it's better told episodically throughout history. Right. And, uh, and they said, interesting. Uh, it sounds like we might've found the right person to help tell that story. They're like, don't you run a, po- a comic publishing company? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> oh, yeah. they, they, did their, they did their research on you. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, yeah, well, we're supposed to be here to talk about a board game, but I would absolutely love to do a comic book series. And, um, and so we ended up hitting it off and we, uh, we talked a few more times before we were signing a deal for both comic book series and the game. And uh, being editor in chief and having to kind of oversee and manage all these other projects, I, the first thing in my forefront of my thoughts was, I would love to write this, but I, I can't. I just don't have the time. I got to find the right person. I got to hire the right writer for this. But the house is kind of, you know, they made it really clear, like, well, we really like you and mm-hmm. your vision for this and the way that you want to tell this story. Uh, we don't necessarily like somebody else. Like, you'd have to really find the right person. And I just, um, I never found the right person. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I just ended up doing it myself. That's it. You You start to make time for the things that you're, you're really passionate about. Um, that's, that's cool. I, I promise I did not think that that was going to be your story of how this started. You know, <laughs> yeah, I know, um, you go, you go in to pitch a board game, which is cool enough in and of itself. Um, and, and then come out with, uh, with a deal to make a comic book. Yeah. That's, I love it. And not just like a one-time deal either. It was like, hey, let's do this for the next couple of years. Let's break it up into chunks and let's tell the entire history of the house from starting from 1886, the day she buys it, all the way through to her death. And that's that's what we're going to do. And that's a big endeavor to do right, to do well. Oh, yeah. You know? And uh, I'm just so glad that they took the chance on me. Yeah, that's what I, I liked about the, um, the book and that first edition i guess the the first section of that you're going to be writing the first book there um you open it up and it starts with her standing there buying the house mm-hmm. and I, I like how you you say uh the guy says well 
isn't this too much house for you? And she's like, no. Uh, and he's like, well, what are you going to do with it? And she goes, build. And, <laughs> and that, that's basically her, her story is, you know, she had the idea of this house and then, um, I, I've always wanted to go there. We, uh, Ashley and I went to California in 2019, but we didn't get a chance to get by the Winchester mystery house, which is kind of a bummer, but it was like many hundreds of miles from where we went. Uh, so <laughs> it would have, it, we would have had to extended the vacation to do that. But I, I like, uh, when you and I were talking prior to getting on here, you were saying it was really cool to actually get to work with those people and at the house. And I was wondering how much time did you actually get to spend there? So before, before this happened, I had never been to the house in person. I always dreamt of going, I never got the opportunity. And, uh, and of course I said, well, if I'm going to be writing this, I gotta, I gotta come down. I yeah. gotta, I need to like, I need to see and walk through it. I need to feel it. And, uh, uh, you know, I started doing all my research first. Um, they were closed for a bit during the pandemic and we were, uh, we had San Diego comic-con coming up and San Diego decided to close. They, uh, they decided to put on a big digital convention and the house reached out to them and said, Hey, we're going to be doing a comic book and we're kind of like your neighbor and, uh, and we should really do something to talk about this and highlight this. We're working with editor in chief source point press and they, they were excited. They were like, we will, we wish we were doing something in person and doing something live. Like, they're like, we, we wish we were doing stuff live too, <laughs> but right now it's all digital. So what can we, uh, what can we put together? So, um, the house gave me access to, uh, a 3d walkthrough of the entire mansion. It, it's incredible what they did. They had a photographer go through every single step and take these big wide lens photos every single possible direction and then piece together the room seamlessly. And then you go down the hallway and if you can see, you can turn, you can literally in this 3d walkthrough, you can turn your head and see everything. And you can go further down the hallway and see these doors and you can choose to go in these doors. It's almost like virtual reality, except it's built out of photographs. That's so cool. it's, it's not 3d rendered. It's not an artist mock-up. It's actual photos, but you can turn your head and go places and you can explore. And they, they, they gave me access to this. They said, start going through the house, do what you got to do. And I, I, it was mind blowing 10 times through, I was still getting lost because mm -hmm. you're not, a, there's Damn. no tour guide. Right. So I'm, I'm like, you know, you have the option to do like a guided thing where they just kind of drag you through it. I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, I'm going to do it free. And I was like, I'm all turned around. I don't even know what floor <laughs> I'm on anymore. So you could actually, it was incredible what they did. you know, they, you could actually zoom out, you can pull out and it'll lead, it'll pull you out of the house. And all the walls are stripped away. So what you're seeing is like a dollhouse from the backside. And you're like, oh, that's where I am. And then you can kind of like zip back in and then go back to walking through it. And I did this countless times just trying to get to know my way around and try to get to feel it out. That is, that is so cool. It was, right? It was, <sighs> it was really incredible. Like given the circumstances, it was like, oh, I'm finally going to get to do this. And they're welcoming me out. And they want me there and they can't. It was just kind of heartbreaking, right? Mm -hmm. but meanwhile, while I'm doing all this, I'm starting to lay things out. We're starting to get the first issue going. And the artist starts to dive in. Dustin Irvin was my artist for the first uh, issue. And he and I are working through this. And I'm taking screenshots of different rooms in the house and sending them to him and all this stuff, doing all this research, trying to really make it 
seamless for him. And, uh, and San Diego uh, asked us to start kind of documenting this. And they're like, instead of doing like a panel, they're like, let's do like a documentary about how this came to be and about why you guys are doing this and, and like showing some behind the scenes of you and Dustin working on this. And we did, we made this awesome documentary and they debuted it at, at this digital con and it, it, you know, it was available on YouTube now to watch. And it was really fun. And then the second they opened the doors, man, I was, I was at the house. I flew out there. I'm, I'm in Michigan. I'm pretty far away from California. And, um, and it was amazing. You know, I, I got to, I got to go through everything. You know, I didn't get to go through everything. So there's a lot of people, they like, they've gone through the tour and they're like, yeah, that was a big house, man. It took me like an hour and a half to walk through it. And now, now that I've been there and now that I also done the 3d walkthroughs and now that I've done all this research, I can tell you, you didn't see the whole house. Even <laughs> if the thing is guided to make you feel like you saw the whole house, it is bigger than that. Yeah. And I know this for a fact because it's so big and that they actually have all of their offices and all that stuff. They do all their business work are in the house and you never know, you'll never see it. Because it's a pair of rooms that you don't see. It, it's, it's wild to think that you just, because it's so guided that you're like, well, you come in one end and you come out the other, just like you walk through a haunted house. But just like walking through a haunted house, there's all these different scare points where employees are and all this stuff behind the walls that you don't see. And that's kind of how it is. Like there's, there's whole portions of it. Not to mention there's portions of it that are, that are unsafe, you know, that they don't open to the public because they're in disrepair. I mean, it's a Victorian era home. It takes a lot of upkeep sure. because sure. their version of the upkeep is so specific that they can't just go in and tear stuff down and rebuild it. You know, they, to keep its historical accuracy, they got to do it piece by piece really slowly over time. Um, so yeah, it's a, you, you, even then you only see a little bit of it, but uh, I came out and did, we wanted to get all the press excited about it. So like we, uh, we, we made these, I'll show you guys one real quick. We made these letters, these, uh, sent out these mysterious envelopes. And this one doesn't have anything on it, but it would, it would have, you know, all this contact info on it. And then people would, they would open it up and they would see this. And this is just an invitation. And it doesn't tell That's you what cool. it's for. It just says, <laughs> your presence has been requested on Friday the 13th of August 2021 at 6.30 p.m. in the Carriage House at the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California. The spirits have called for you. Your skill is to be tested. And so I designed this, you know, and it's got this, it says like Lenata Villa at the bottom, like as, like, yeah. I guess if that's where it came from, which was the name that Sarah gave to the house. And um, we got people riled up. They were like, what is this? What do you mean? My skills going to be tested, all this stuff. And, uh, and the people were trying, who got them were posting about them on the internet. And they were trying to figure out like, well, here's what I do for a living. Like I work as a comic book reviewer at like IGN or whatever. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is like, well, I got one. And I, uh, I'm just like, I just, I'm a TikToker who reviews board games and then somebody's like, well, I got one and I, I work for, you know, a ghost hunting show. <laughs> and somebody's yeah. like, I got one and I just do like a supernatural <clears throat> podcast. And somebody's like, well, I just, I, I just work for the local newspaper in San Jose. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> and it was all these different areas of the press that would be interested in the house news about the house news about the board game news about the comic series, but we didn't announce the game or the comic. We just kind of brought all these people and they showed up. 
out of curiosity. That's cool. We, the house, we took him into the carriage house, which is behind it on the property. And we, we fed him dinner. Uh, we gave him all these little goodie bags. And then they, uh, I gave like a speech and I did a bunch of interviews and stuff like that. And we gave them all an Ashcan preview of the comic book. Uh, and that Ashcan's now it's like super collectible. Anybody who has that same Ashcan. And um, for those who don't know, an Ashcan is just, uh, it's like a shorter version of, it's like a preview comic book. It's used to to market an upcoming comic. And they're often, uh, they're avail- they're only available in certain ways, like a subscription service or like you had to be at a certain event. They're not something you can go to your store and buy. Right. So yeah. because of that, they become super collectible. And um, so we gave them all those. And then we had a prototype of the board game. It was our first prototype. And we let all of them play it. And and then we just chatted about the house and, and like we just had a really good time and we talked about the gardens and we looked around and all this stuff. And uh and then at the end, you know, it's gotten dark now. Everybody's had a really good time. Uh they've they played the game, they've read the comic, they've hung out and chatted with me and we took pictures and did video interviews. Hopefully they're they're all armed up to go write a cool article the next day. And uh and then I said, Okay, now to wrap up the night. Who wants to go through the house on a private tour? And everybody was like, yeah, I'm ready. And I'm like, awesome. We've shut the power off to the house. Here's your flashlight. Uh, and about 50% of people were like, I changed my mind. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> man. oh, how that would be so amazing. It was so fun. The 50% who did come with me, they had a blast. They loved it. And, I was going to say, I wouldn't, up, I wouldn't have backed out of that opportunity. Like that, that's an opportunity that to me, yeah, I, there's some places that we talk about that I'm like, I don't really want to be in that place after dark and you know, the, the activity there, but the Winchester house from everything that Matt and I have learned about it, to me, there wouldn't be anything there that I'd be like, nope, I'm out except for the potential of getting lost. But at that point. I mean, this is, you know, we got GPS and all that stuff. I can send out a help, at, you know, <laughs> just text mm-hmm. Josh. Yeah. Okay, I'm lost. Here's what the room looks like. Where am <laughs> I? You know? <laughs> yeah, or you can you, you can find one of that, the tube network where you can holler in there and go, hey, yep. I'm over here. <laughs> yep. You mentioned um, in the very beginning about Sarah adding stuff to the house that wasn't like it was ahead of its time. And that was, that was one of the things that really struck Matt and I, when we were doing our research on it was she had an elevator and it doesn't seem like a big deal now, but when that house was being built, when she put it in private homes, didn't have elevators. And just to not only put the money into doing that, but just the thought of, I want an elevator in my house is incredible. And we were really blown away with her ingenuity and her ability to design this stuff. Cause I know when I, if I build a house at some point, I would like to have secret rooms, you know, behind bookcases, but it's based on the Winchester mystery house and stuff like that. She didn't have a, Winchester mystery house to look at and, and say, Oh, I want to do that. So it just amazes me all the stuff that she came up with. And I know there was some crazy theories that we heard 
about why she did it. You know, that it was running from the spirits that were killed by her husband's guns or, you know, her own spirits and all that to trick them into discombobulate them where they couldn't find her. So I was going to ask you what, through your research, what have you found that makes the most sense on the reasoning behind why she built the house the way she did? Was it simply just a, I want to do this. And if that's the case to me, that's good enough. But Mm -hmm. was there a reason behind her doing that or was it just her wanting to? So the big thing about, about her is she was super, there is a ton of mystery surrounding this. And as far as the idea of the house being, uh, there's a, a mountain of evidence that there's a ton of paranormal uh, you know, activity in the house that, and that dates back since she was alive. So mm-hmm. There's a mountain of evidence. Her reasons for building the house in the lore have always been super tied into that paranormal activity. And there is, I would say just as many people out there who spend their effort, putting all this effort in trying to debunk any sort of supernatural reasons behind her, her yeah. actions as there are the other direction. Uh, when in reality, and it's very easy to, I, I get this, I get attacked all the time when I'm like promoting the comic and people will be like, this poor woman, look at what you, you know, like mm-hmm. you all spent the past century doing this, you know, saying this stuff. And like, and these people don't, they don't know half as much as I do about her. Like they don't, they don't have a clue. And I hold her in the greatest esteem and the mm-hmm. greatest respect. I idolize her. She was brilliant. And the fact that we don't necessarily know all of her, uh, all of her motives and all we have is little bits of information to piece it together. That's why it's called a mystery house. Right. Um, but here's what I do know. So she, um, she was a spiritualist. She did believe in ghosts. Uh, she did feel that her family had died so abruptly that there was more to it beyond illness. So, I mean, her mother-in-law then her father-in-law, and, you know, her daughter and then her husband, it's all happened in a pretty short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, her husband barely had the company and he was dead next. And so it is quite possible that she felt like there were supernatural reasons behind this or that there was some sort of curse. Um, she did, when she chose the house that she decided to build upon, which was nowhere near, she went from East Coast to West Coast. Uh, as to why she went to the West Coast, I will. I can. I'm here. I will debunk as much as what people want. There was a her. She had family that lived out there, so like it, it makes absolute sense that she went right. to California. A lot of the story will go like she just started traveling west and she didn't stop until like her husband came out of the clouds and said, "That's mm. the house." <laughs> that, so no, of course it makes sense that she went out west for a reason. But there was something really particular about that house and that particular plot of land that she thought was absolutely perfect for her project that had to be there and nowhere else. She did feel extremely passionately about that way. And then as soon as she started building this, she had to swear her workers to secrecy. She, the first thing she did was put up basically a privacy fence and she, she kept people out and she destroyed all of her documents and anything and everything that had to do with the construction of the house so that no one could learn about what she was doing there. Right. Which tells us that she wasn't just building a house for fun. Right. Like, right. so a lot of people yeah. like, she was just into architecture. Leave her alone. 
No, <laughs> there, she, was, she was definitely constructing something, mm-hmm. something special, uh, something that meant the dedication of the rest of her life. And as she was, and, and she was so private about it, um, that the, it's interesting. A lot of what we know, uh, beyond what the town gossip was, cause there's literally like one of the, I have, you know, one of the most more famous books actually written about her is written by like a neighbor down the street, hmm. like had to walk down, walk past the house every day and try to peek through the fence and go, what's going on in there? <laughs> and like, she was just this big gossip and she would try to like, she would try to like peg down the workers on their way to work and like get information out of them. And honestly, a lot of what we know about why Sarah was so great and so philanthropic and all that is from her workers breaking down under pressure and defending her. So we, we, they would push and push and push and push and they would be sworn to secrecy, sworn to secrecy until they'd had enough. And they say, you know what? You don't know the first thing about her. You don't have a clue that like she just gave a huge fortune and she opened up her hospital just specifically to to try to cure tuberculosis. Like uh, that she's like, she's responsible for feeding all the orphans within a hundred mile radius from those miles of orchards that she has. Like those are stuff that nobody talks about. And those are like, those are her workers coming to her side. That being said, it is also, there's just very documented that she was super particular about the house, that she only gave instructions one day at a time, that she did go to the seance room every night. And the seance room is one of the weirdest rooms in the whole place. Uh, that the bell tower was to notify the workers every night that she was going to the seance room not to be disturbed. Now, what she did in the seance room, we don't know. Nobody else was in there with her, you know, but it's, it, it all the Lord surrounding it, all these supernatural elements, they make perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, it, the fact that she would come out and with very, very specific instructions, the construction crews were like, they were losing their minds. They were like, we, why can't you give us instructions further in advance? I never know what I'm building the next day. If anything isn't perfectly to your design, you tell us we have to tear down every single bit of it. You have to tell us that we have to tear up every single board and we have to start from scratch. So the workers, they, they, they got so frustrated with having to constantly do that, but they were paid so well and they were treated so well that they would do anything she said for the rest of their lives. And they did. Yeah, they did. They didn't leave. Um, but they would start doing things to kind of like, like, for example, they would hide pieces, like finished pieces, because they were, these were so like handcrafted, beautiful elements to this house. And they would like be like, oh, we got to dismantle this. And they would like tuck them away and hide them in a shed so they could kind of use them later. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's got to be a reason for that. And now here's another thing that my research really dug down to. And that's something that doesn't get talked about very much. And that is uh, there's a lot of things in the house. Uh, and you see this in the comic book, instead of just having Sarah in the comic book tell you, this is why I'm doing these things. This is what's going on in here. Uh, you start to kind of, it's almost a choose your own adventure. You, you start to hear the theories from the people in her life. You hear their perspectives. You hear what the construction crews are talking about, how they feel about what they're doing. You feel how those close to her uh, feel about her and express to her. If there are those who are concerned for her mental well-being and her welfare, they express it. If there are those who are not, and they think that she knows exactly what she's doing, they express it. And it's up to you as a reader to decide which of these people in, your, in her life you're going to listen to the most. Because that's kind of what we as regular people now have. We have these different varying opinions and these bits of information, and we kind of have to make our decisions. Yep, exactly. As for the whole thing itself, uh, in the comic book series, it's, 
it's largely fictional. It's so that I can tell a good horror story. But I, every single thing else in there is true history. And a lot of the paranormal experiences people have had for the past century uh, inspired my version of the haunting story. So it's all very, very accurate. And uh, one of the things that people don't really talk about is that there are a lot of designs and elements in the house that point to Freemasonry. And mm. Freemasonry and spiritualism can go hand in hand. Um, but I do think that she was so brilliant, so smart, that a lot of this house was built to be like one big puzzle that we're all meant to solve one day. And we're just not smart enough to have figured it out yet. Right. The house well, is they're, they're still finding things, right? I mean, I, I know I, I've seen articles within the last five years where they found a room that room. they didn't they didn't know existed. So they found a room that was completely walled off and with no entrance points at all. And, uh, and this room is actually featured in volume two, which I'm writing right now. You'll, you'll get to see what that room was like, what it was used for, and why it was, it was sealed off in volume two. Um, but <laughs> they, they discovered this room, and it wasn't just a room. It was like full of stuff. I mean, there was a, a Victorian-era couch in there. There were dolls. There were paintings. Wow. There were uh, there was a, a sewing machine. I mean, who, who seals off an entire room without removing the items first and saying no? It's all got to go, and it's got to go away right now. Don't touch a thing. Uh, that's incredibly mysterious. Uh, it, it's incredible. Uh, and so, at the time in the U.S., women weren't allowed to be Freemasons. Um, but you're about to uh, hit on something I was about to ask you. So keep going down that path. So one of the things that people don't really talk about, they talk about, say, oh, you know, she took all this money, her family died, she took all this money from, from the company, and she immediately headed out west, and she found this house, and she started building it. But much like you'll find in the Bible, there's like just missing gaps in time. You're like, mm -hmm. well, what was Jesus doing for those years? There's a chunk of that in Sarah's story as well, and that is there are four years between her having received that money and uh, leaving her home. And having arrived in California, that's a long time to get to California. Mm -hmm. uh, during that time, she took that wealth and she traveled the world. And she spent a lot of time in France. And at the time, uh, France was uh, the area she was staying in. Uh, Freemasonry was a pretty big deal. And she, her, her dad was a Freemason. Uh, and she had been kind of raised up in these kind of like kind of almost secret community. And in France, women were allowed to be Freemasons. Uh, I believe, even though there is no written proof of this, that she spent a lot of time with the Freemasons in, during her time in France. And uh, at the time, a lot of the Freemasons were studying the work of Francis Bacon, famous philosopher. Mm -hmm. I've actually personally had a big interest in Francis Bacon long before I read this comic book and long before I discovered the ties that Sarah has to Francis Bacon. You'll see in the comic book, she, uh, she quotes Francis Bacon in one scene. And that is very much intentional. It is, I, I love to lead, lay these little threads that people can follow. They can follow those threads right out of the comic book page, right down some rabbit hole in the internet until they just lose their mind and realize, oh, it's four in the morning. I need to go to bed. <laughs> Which happens to Adam and I all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, that's my life. So, <laughs> um, so like uh, the Freemasons, they, they study Francis Bacon's work a lot. Um, you know, he was obsessed with number 13. And, and no one was more obsessed with the number 13 than Sarah. She believed it held a lot of uh, a lot of power, a lot of uh, mystical power. And 
she um, she put that number throughout the house as many opportunities as she could get. And I don't think that was random. I don't think it was just a design choice or like a preference, you know, like, oh, right. I really like number 13. I'm going to spread it around like I would the color blue on the walls. No, I think that those rooms were meant to help hold some kind of strength uh, that only she fully understood. Yeah. And see, that that's what I was going to ask is in some of the research we did, it hinted toward the fact that she was potentially a Mason. And like you said, at the time in the U.S., women weren't allowed to be in a Masonic lodge, lodge or anything like that. And I'm not sure if that's changed now. I know I have a friend who is a, a Freemason and his lodge has no women in it. So I don't know if that's changed in the U.S. or if it stayed the same. But I, in a lot of what we were looking up, I came to believe that she probably was either a Freemason from, like you said, France or something like that, or that she had learned so much about it that she adopted that into her architecture and, and what she right. did. Um, her secrecy around the building of the house, it makes me think of the Coral Castle in Florida um, oh. where he built that whole castle by himself but nobody knows how he did it because he mm -hmm. kept the place walled off and, and they think he worked at night. Yeah. And, and they think there was some, some type of acoustic, like a harmonic resonance that would allowed him to lift the things. And he came out and said, you know, I, I learned the secrets of the Egyptians. And so then that makes me wonder if, some of the things that we don't know about Sarah that maybe her builders didn't say or that she didn't even tell them is the reason behind some of it may have that deep mystical meaning that if we figured out there would that house would be a power source for something. Mm -hmm. You know, would it open because this is graveyard tales, I have to ask this question, would it open some type of uh, dimensional slip or would it thin the veil between us and the spiritual side and we could see the paranormal more and um you mentioned it too there there's a lot of history about the spirits there um so i, I was going to see if you wanted to i know matt is one of the things matt said is i want to know some some ghost stories that we maybe didn't yeah. cover the, the the little factoids that you don't get when you you know sit you watch watch the show about it or you know see the episode of the unexplained or or right. you, you hit a clickbait article you know that little thing but to touch on where Adam was going and something you talked about earlier Josh was she said she knew that was the spot that's where the house was going to go no nowhere else would do so it, it it always made me think that it was more than just, this is a really pretty place. You know, I really love this property or the view or the weather that there was some type of energy there that, that she tapped into, or at least could feel to say, this is the spot because this is where the energy is. This is the place that I'm looking for to do this project. 
I'm so excited for you guys to read volume two. Oh my God. <laughs> this is exactly what volume two is all about. Oh, um, perfect. So volume two is, is very much going to go into why here. And, um, and there's going to be, again, we're going to meet a few new people who are going to kind of give us their theories. There are, our, these characters are going to be our way into this discussion instead of because Sarah is so secretive and so private, it doesn't make sense in the story of, uh, you know, of the comic series for her to just kind of like come out with these things. So other people have to kind of catch on to it and follow that string. And um, I believe that the place, the house, is, the, the location is important. I, I believe that, and here's the thing, so funny, like, as you discover things, especially on the internet, other people, they, they might share your opinion about one aspect of it, but every single time they do, and they feel strongly about that aspect, they try to use that to deny all the other aspects. And I'm like, I think you're wrong. I think a lot of this coexists, mm-hmm. right? They're like, oh, she was really into Freemasonry, not ghosts. Oh, she was, you know, not into Freemasonry. She was only doing this to save her life because she thought she was cursed. I'm like, why can't why can't both things be true right yep. so yeah. um so you know i i i a big part of volume two is going to talk about uh i'm going to keep it spoiler free but, but but for the most part the theme is going to be about her having chosen this place and constructed this in a specific way because uh she feels that this is a spot where the veil between the spirit world and our world is is very thin and that through the energy that the house can produce through its nonstop construction, she is able to, that's the thing about these ghosts in my story, the ghosts are not necessarily the villains. They, as tormented spirits, they can torment the living, right? So they are the bad guys, but she doesn't feel, she doesn't view them that way. What she wants is to keep them away from us and to put, keep them at peace, right? So she's building this literal house for them in this one specific place where the veil is thin, where she can push them, through that veil onto the other side of it and then keep them there as long as she keeps adding on and keep building and constantly feeding you this energy that's required for this to work. And, uh, and I, uh, in this version of the story, this version of the story is going to, um, it's going to go into the 1906 earthquake. Mm. One of the biggest earthquakes that America's ever, ever felt that ran right through San Jose. And it split the house in half, tore seven stories of it down and almost killed her. And uh, I just love to play with this idea of what if all of this energy that's being pushed in one direction, in one location, and what if all of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of spirits keep getting collected into one place? What happens if suddenly all that energy flips the doors open the other direction, Mm -hmm. pouring out at once? And uh, that is where where volume two is going to get real fun. I'm uh, I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to that. <laughs> I'm really trying to level it up because volume one is a slow burn. For those who haven't read it, uh, I remember my, when the reviews came out for number one, people were like, "Ooh, this is interesting." All right, all right, he's slowing it down. This isn't an in-your-face horror. I'm not sure where this is going yet. Interesting, some some mysterious vibes towards the end. And then you read the reviews and they get to issue three and they're like, oh my God, it's crazy. <laughs> and every second, I don't know, it was just wild. And it made me personally so happy that, uh, that the reviewers were kind of like, they're following the pacing that I was trying to do. 
And, uh, and it was, it's been tough. You know, I've been, uh, volume one was really successful and I'm so, so lucky. Uh, it, it, it sold out you know, within two weeks of its wow. trade paperback sold out within two weeks of its release. And now, you know, I've been writing volume two, it's taking me longer because I'm in my head about it. I'm, uh, I want it to be really good. I want, I'm, I'm so scared now that there's so many eyes on it. Now that I know exactly the number of people <laughs> who are reading, yeah. I'm like, oh geez, you know, like that's, uh, you're starting to get into the numbers where not everybody can like it. Somebody's going to push mm-hmm. back. There's going to be people who hate it. You know, there's people that think the volume two doesn't live up to volume one. It's just uh, it's scary. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 All right, y'all. So let's take a second and talk about one of our sponsors, better help. That's better H E L P. Now I know sometimes when you're in a, holy crap moment and you've got to make a decision that it's better if you can stay in the problem solving mode and not get in the freak out mode but from personal experience that's very difficult to do but if you can learn how to keep your brain in that problem solving mode to figure out the answers to the problems then there's really no better feeling when you come up with your own solution And the cool thing is that a therapist can actually help you become a better problem solver so that in these situations, it's easier to accomplish your goals. I know from personal experience that therapists have been very instrumental in keeping me on the track of not freaking out when something big happens and they help keep me in line with my goals so I can accomplish whatever task is in front of me and not just break down like I am apt to do sometimes. And that's why I always recommend BetterHelp to people because BetterHelp is a great option and especially for today's fast-paced society because everything is convenient, accessible, and affordable and it's all entirely online so that you can get access to your therapist whenever you need it. You could potentially call them up and have an appointment with your therapist on lunch break at work. Or if, if you need time away from the kids for a minute, you can plan a appointment with your therapist and just sneak off into another room of your home, have your appointment with your therapist, but not actually have to get dressed because that's one of the worst things is having to get dressed and go out, sit in the waiting room, wait for your appointment, you know, being around people, that's icky. So if you can do it from your own home, that's great. And the cool thing is you can get matched with a therapist very easily. All you do is fill out a brief survey online. And if you meet with that therapist a time or two and you say, well, they're not really for me, you can switch therapist at any time for free. And it's very easy. So whenever you want to get help becoming a better problem solver and you want to be able to learn how to solve anything that's thrown at you in the future, All you got to do is visit BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grave, G-R-A-V-E, and you can get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grave. Just don't pull a George R. R. Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Like 10 years, we're like, I'm 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 halfway done. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you said uh, you talked about um, 
her continuing to build the house to appease the spirits. And that brings up something that we've talked about before is if you get in a place that is supposedly haunted and construction is being done, it seems to stir up the activity Mm -hmm. at a house. And one of the theories that I've heard and that we've talked about is it's because the paranormal lives in the liminal spaces, the in-between spaces. So if you take a house that's in construction, it's in between. It's in between the starting point and the ending point. So if it's in construction, it's always in the liminal space. Mm -hmm. So you see ghosts on stairwells a lot because that is a liminal space in between one floor and another. And in the Winchester mystery house, I know there's a lot of stair stairways that go nowhere. There's, uh, doors to nothing, you know, open the wrong door and you fall flat on your face somewhere. Um, so it makes me think that she was capitalizing on the in-between space, the liminal space to not necessarily trap or confuse the spirits, as some people have said, but kind of your thought is to give energy to or to bring spirits to that place. Because if it's always being built, it's always a Mm -hmm. huge liminal space. And so I think, in my opinion, I think that's one of the reasons why she didn't want to stop building. Is If she stopped building, then it was no longer an in-between space. That's, um, that's well, well said, first of all. <laughs> that was perfect. I agree. That I agree with that. There's also this idea, um, so, which I think is very much in the same vein. And, and it, it really kind of occurred to me when we were approaching the centennial of the house. So Sarah died, uh, Sarah died a hundred years ago as of September and the house is kind of celebrating this big centennial. And there, there's a lot of discussion. They talk about the house being a hundred years old. And I know that the house is a lot older than a hundred years old. So it's always really interesting. And I spoke to the, to the house about this and I said, why are you telling people the house is a hundred years old? It's so much older than that. Why is this a centennial? It's, you're talking, it's more of a celebration of Sarah's death than it is the house. And they mm-hmm. said, so well, when do you consider a house to be born? And I said, I, I don't know. I guess when it's done being built. <laughs> they said, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the house was never, it was always in flux. It was never done. It was incomplete. Yeah. It was always incomplete. They didn't stop working on it until the day she died. That's the day that they laid their hammers down. And wherever state that house happened to be in at that moment is the state that remains into this very day. They said it's done. The house is complete. And so that's uh, this idea that for decades, uh, you know, she, she lived there, but it was an incomplete house. It was a work in progress. It was nothing but liminal space in that, in that context. And I, I love that. I think that there's a lot of, I, I think there's something very interesting about that. And I also think that um, the power that that holds, that this idea that, you know, was never quite done. I think that lingers, you know, because, you know, Sarah, she, when she died, you know, in her heart, that house wasn't done either. Mm-hmm. Uh, that house is kind of, will always be unfinished to some degree. And maybe that's, why those spirits remain maybe that's why so, yeah to this day you know when i show up at the house 
the people who work there, like the tour guides and the people who are kind of, they, 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 you know, other than the tour guides, they have people that just kind of plan throughout the house to make sure you don't leave the, the chosen track, that you don't go off the tour and get lost somewhere. And, um, you know, when I was there, they, they were really excited to uh, come run up to me and be like, hey, are you the, the writer? Are you the guy who's telling the story of the house and the comic books? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's so nice to meet you. They're like, do you have a minute? I'm like, absolutely, for you, of course. And they, <laughs> they would say, uh, yeah, so I need to tell you everything that's ever happened to me since I've worked here. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. Sure. And, you know, and it's just every, I mean, it's, incre- it's crazy. These people who, who work there every day, they, they got stories, man. They feel like, you know, one person was like, I almost quit after the first month because I was so terrified. You know, there's just so many things. And it was really interesting hearing these stories from multiple people who, who, have, who have a lot of similarities. Like the things that happen to this employee are very similar to the things that happen to this employee. And uh, it's got to be just a big part of the jobs for them to just continually talk about it because no one's going to quite understand what they go through at work every day except for each other. Right. Right. And there's, I don't care what anybody says, you know, you can debunk away, but man, there is a century of stories like that. You know, everybody, when Sarah was alive, Everybody always wondered what was going on behind those walls. Everybody wanted to see inside that house. And the day she died, people couldn't wait. They're like, when do I get to see what was going on inside that house? And that curiosity that draws all these people to that house, here we are 100 years later, and we're still talking about it. We're, people are still traveling to it. They're coming from around the world because they still want to see what's going on behind those walls in that house. It's almost like it never stopped. It's almost like yep. Sarah's still there, and it's still under construction because the the people's desire to see what's going on in there hasn't changed since when she was alive. That's incredible. I don't know very many places that have that kind of power. over. No. Oh yeah. Still putting energy into the house too, by doing that, that Mm -hmm. everybody that comes there with that desire is, is feeding energy into that house. And I I think that adds to uh, not only it being a liminal space, a continuous liminal space. Cause like you said, it wasn't done. It was never completed. So the house, you know, the people that work there may say it was finished on the day she died because nothing else was added to it. But in reality, that house will never be finished. And until the day yeah. it falls down, it will be a liminal space. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, they just finished the construction at her death. They didn't complete the house. Right. And, right. and they had, and they had no instructions for the next day. So they didn't know what they would have done to complete it. Yeah. You, even if you said, well, I'm going to do some additions to it and finish it up. That's not, that's not finishing the house. Only mm-hmm. Sarah knows how to finish the house. Yeah. It, it's, it's remarkable. I, I, I love, I love that house. I love that story. I think it has, I mean, I love hauntings in general. I love the, you know, the history and the stories behind them. Some of them are just absolutely mind blowing. And, uh, and some of the experiences people there, you know, there's, there's places out there that are, it's incredible the things that people have, have documented and seen, you know, uh, but there is nothing else in the world that's quite like the Winchester Mystery House. It is so unique and, uh, and it's always going to be that way. As long as people can keep going there and can keep seeing it, mm-hmm. it's always going to kind of stand apart from everything else. And it's, you know, it's responsible for so much of our entertainment is horror fans too. Uh, Stephen King's Rose Red was, mm-hmm. was inspired by, you know, that house. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe was inspired by that house going way back. Uh, Shirley Jackson's Haunting of Hill House was inspired by that house. 
Disney's Haunted Mansion, it kind of, it spawned an entire subgenre of fiction of this American Gothic haunted mansion. All those stories really, they stem from one real life place and real life thing that happened. And, uh, and for me to kind of get to be part of that legacy to help tell that story uh, in a way that's, uh, that's considered respectful by the actual estate. Man, I'm so lucky. Yep. So, so Josh, if you will, tell us what, what was one of the, the wildest uh, paranormal experiences you were told about. And while you were there, did you have any experiences? Um, so one of the, I think one of the most, one of the coolest things is that um, for the longest time, there's always been multiple people who come out of that house, having seen uh, a ghost um, apparition. There, there's been a ton, a ton of power, uh, you know, like, small poltergeist activity in the house, uh, uh, pianos being played, um, people being touched, things like that. Um, there's not a whole lot of items in the house to this day that could really get, you know, moved much, but there's definitely been chairs that have flipped and rocking chairs that have moved, things like that. But one of the strongest things that people, numerous people have seen is they've been able to see a particular ghost so well. And there are other ghosts too. There are other spirits that people have been, have actually caught on camera. Um, uh, there's been uh, both like physical lit forms, you know, almost like a like a like a fog taking shape, uh, mist, and then there's also been like shadow people that have been documented in the house. But there's one particular ghost that's been seen for ages, and he's seen so strongly people can describe him in great detail, and he's usually seen in the basement. Uh, he's often been seen pushing a wheelbarrow, and um, it wasn't until that they were going through all these old archives and they had found this photograph of these construction crew that worked on the house. And they decided to blow that picture up and hang it in the mansion that uh, they started realizing that all these stories about this ghost were all the same person. Because what they started seeing was this constant pattern of people coming out saying, that's him right there. Pointing to the picture, pointing to this one particular worker, his name is Clyde. And uh, that is in my in my opinion just grants it so much validity that not only are multiple people in modern times in the times of the internet and the times of photography and the times of all these things can agree on like that's the guy i saw but they've been doing that for decades mm. i mean decades and decades people have seen clyde in that house that's that's incredible uh and it and it's it wasn't, I mean, this story, this lore of, oh, yeah, and the man in the hat, the man with the wheelbarrow, the man with the hat and the wheelbarrow in the basement. Um, that, 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 that holds a lot of weight in as far as storytelling goes and passing down from generation to generation. But when real people in real time recognize a photograph mm -hmm. separately from each other without having known that that photograph was of him, that's, that's pretty hard to debunk. Um, uh, another one of my favorite stories about trying to debunk the house is Harry Houdini. Um, very famously visited the house uh, on a tour of trying to dear debunk uh, ghost stories. And um, at the time, spiritualism was very, uh, it was very popular and then it was very contested. Uh, reason being was, like, you know, it was post-Civil War. Pretty much everyone knew someone who had died, right? Mm. So they had lost a loved one. Everyone had. And it was so tragic and there was so much grief and sorrow in this country at the same time that, uh, you know, spiritualism really rose up. It became popular because people loved 
the idea of being able to reconnect with somebody they'd lost. And it was such a collective mental presence. Everybody felt that way and could agree on something. And that is, they wish they could talk to their loved one again. And because of that, it was seances were happening all over the country. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of opportunists stepped up to try to figure out how they could profit from this. And uh, Harry Houdini, he saw the evil and the greed in that. And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prove all these fakes. And it wasn't so much out of spite of the supernatural as it was protecting people from scams. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it became, he was so good at it. He was so smart. And he knew, being a magician, he knew all the tricks, right? So he could see how things were done. He could see the magic, you know, the, the tricks behind the magic. And uh, on that tour, he, everybody said, Shh, you should go to the Winchester house. Like, see for yourself. That's, that's a real haunting. That's what it's really like. And uh, he hadn't seen a real haunting yet. So he went. And by the time he came out of the house, he had thrown his hands in the air and said, that's it. I don't know what's going on inside of the house. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't debunk this. Whatever's happening there, I can't say what it is, but it's real. And um, that's just, I think that's one of the coolest, you know, it's so cool. Um, I personally, uh, so I haven't, I haven't spent enough time in there to have, I think, proper experiences. But I have had a couple little things. Um, very, very little. But one of them is kind of cool. I'll tell you guys about it. Uh, well, first off, so when I was giving that tour um, through the dark with flashlights and everything, and keep in mind, I... When I'm in that house, it's not like I'm ready to be spooked. I'm excited to be scared. That's not my vibe. I, when I'm in that house, all I want to do is spend every second I can in every single room absorbing every detail. I'm there looking through very analytical eyes. I'm like, so that's what that molding looks like. I got to remember to take a picture of that or describe that to the artist for issue four for this. You know, like I'm, I'm looking at everything. And if a room looks particularly creepy or foreboding, I'm, uh, I'm even more obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. about this room that has this you know i want to pick it apart so i can recreate it so i can recreate that feeling in, in a comic book and um uh for me to stop for me to want to get out of a room it would take a lot to drag me out of a room in that house i want to be there mm-hmm. more than anyone but there were certain rooms while we were going through this house that i was like i can't stand it in here i feel like i can't breathe i feel like i'm suffocating like this room wants to squeeze me out of it like a tube of toothpaste. And I just can't wait to get to the other side where that door is and get out. And I couldn't always put my finger on why I, um, you know, I would look around the room because I would recognize it in myself and go, what am I doing? Why do I feel this way? Like, I, you know, this isn't like me, you know, especially here. Like I, what I need to stop and try to take, you know, uh, you know, try to recognize this for what it is. And uh, this is all happening, you know, quietly in my head. But, you know, I had a lot of uh, ghost hunting podcasts and things like that, um, people with me. And one of them had, uh, they had brought this woman who was extremely susceptible to paranormal. Uh, I, I don't know if she considers herself a medium, but she seems damn close to one to me. And um, a sensitive, at least. Very. Yeah. And so she was, uh, she had a recorder with her and she was just very quietly saying everything that she was experiencing as she would move from room to room. And she was just a little bit behind me. So, you know, I would enter a room first and other people would, and eventually she would come in. And what I kept finding was super fascinating to me was, and, and I kept caught it by coincidence. It's was, it was an accident. I would overhear her talking into it. And whenever I was feeling those that way in certain rooms, she was basically saying out loud into her recorder, word for word, what I was feeling. Oh, wow. And, 
man, it was so validating to think, okay, well, I'm not alone. And it's not, I'm looking around the room saying, well, there's nothing particularly creepy about this room. There's nothing like, oh, this one's darker, so scared. No, it's not like that. It's something completely different. And and she was feeling that same way and expressing it, you know, into her quarter. And I thought that was really interesting. And one of the rooms that I felt I had the hardest time in uh, was a room that was never finished. Uh, there's no, there's not even walls up. Uh, it's, uh, it's just kind of a bunch of slatted boards. And it's the secret room that comes off of the seance room. So Sarah, there are a lot of people when you, it's so funny you read through, I, I love it. Cause I, I'll dig through the internet and I'll go, mm, you got most of this wrong. <laughs> but, but like, there's a lot of people that, that, you know, they, they've just kind of passed the tail down and they started adding their own little details, sure. you know, and like you can't do those. Aren't, those aren't accurate. Like for example, people will say, you know, at, at midnight, she would go to the seance room to, you know, to get her instructions from the ghost and went to go the next day. And she would always be in the seance room for exactly two hours yeah, from, from midnight to 2 a.m. And I'm like, you don't know that. In fact, nobody knows that because of a very specific reason. Sarah was always seen going into the seance room. And then the next time you saw her, she'd be in a different spot in the house. She was never once seen coming out of the seance room. That was a one-way door. And it always blew everybody's minds, everybody who wasn't in the know. Well, she had a secret exit out of the seance room that she had specifically built for her. So when you walk in that room, there's two doors in the room. And you, you go in the one. When you turn to the left, there's another door. But if you were to open that door and step through it, you fall three stories. And you fall into a sink in a kitchen way far down below. Oh, wow. You know you're not leaving oh. that way. Oh, uh, I'd heard about that, but I didn't realize that that door was off of the seance room. Yeah. So there's a couple doors with drop offs. There's one that goes right off the side of the house. So you'll fall outside, but there's a door where you'll fall inside and that's inside the seance room. And then there's, um, there's these sort of like, uh, big, they look like cloak, coat closet cabinets, you know, doors. And that's where people are like, Oh, you know, if you open these doors, you'll see, you'll be able to count all of the, the, coat hanger hooks and you'll realize there's 13 of them in the room um but if you open another set of them there's actually a secret exit that she would leave through now since then because you can continue wandering through the house through that exit they've actually turned it into part of the tour so now in traditional sarah fashion the only way on the tour that you leave the seance room is the way she did so they've actually put steps in now so you can just kind of it just feel and the door's always open so it just feels like you can walk right out but at the time, it was very secretive. I mean, mm-hmm. and come out. Uh, well, when you go through that, that secret doorway, the room on the other side is completely unfinished. And it, it stands out right away when you see, because everything else around it is very finished. And you're like, wow, there's just a secret room. It's just, it's, there's not even walls up. Like, it's very strange. Um, but it, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it's this room that nobody else would ever see. Uh, it's a room that was probably constructed in complete secrecy by only a handful of workers. And I wouldn't doubt that she wouldn't waste her time on like, uh, you know, furnishing it if it was only meant for her secret exit. And she was like that. She would tr- put her trust in certain workers to do certain secret projects for her. Um, uh, and you'll see that in volume one of the comic book series when they put the secret, they hide the vaults in the wall. Uh, that's one of my other favorite stories about that. Hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, that particular room, I don't know what it is about it, man, but there is something about that room. That room is terrifying. I don't know what it is. And it's not a visual thing. Um, it's, it's a feeling. And I don't know if it has partially to do with the fact that it's so unfinished, that it's just, it, it just, there's more power to it or there's more presence there. 
I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, but it's, uh, I felt it very strongly. Oh, the fact that you're not getting like visual cues for the creepy feelings and stuff to me adds some validity to it because if you're going in a room and you're seeing quote unquote spooky stuff and you get creeped out by that, then that's your brain saying, Oh, this is a creepy spot. But if it's just another room and you're getting that feeling, then that to me adds a little bit of validity because it's like, well, it's not the visual cues. It's not the, Oh, Hey, there's a skull on the wall. And, you know, it doesn't look like Adam's recording room with skulls everywhere and all that stuff. It's not creepy. Um, and like you said, the, the secret room that you felt the most in that again, could be that in between, but since it's not finished and it's, it's a vortex within a vortex, an unfinished house with an unfinished room. And maybe, maybe she knew that. And maybe that's one reason that it wasn't finished and it's off of the seance room. It it adds to the power of the seance room because it's right there and it's Mm -hmm. a liminal space. I, I, I don't think people put enough, uh, uh, stock into the liminal areas because every, every bit of research that Matt and I have done, it seems to be the in-between spots that have the most paranormal activity. And I think people miss it by not looking into the history of things. Cause like you said, I love, uh, the history behind a haunted place. I love what was the history of this land or this building prior to these stories or something like you get a better understanding of the haunting. And I think it will help you piece together information that you can then validate the hauntings. And I, I think, you know, your, your feelings there are very valid to me since you're not seeing something that creeps you out and you could be slightly sensitive too, like that person and just not know it. It's, um, it, it, it takes, so I, I mean, I've, I've definitely throughout, throughout my life and, and I've had some experiences. I actually have a lot of experiences in this building I'm in right now. So this building's over a hundred years old and it's in one of the, uh, it's one of the, it's in the historic district. Um, so we, we decided to put our headquarters instead of, instead of getting a nice office building like everybody else in the city, we're like, let's take that dump that's been abandoned for a long time and let's try to fix it up. That's something and, uh, Matt and I would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And this particular area is, oh, it's insane. Um, so if you guys haven't heard of him before, um, there's a paranormal investigator named Steve Shippy. And Steve, uh, he's got a, well, first he went on it, he, he made about, 13 uh, documentaries uh, independently of all these different paranormal investigations that he did. They're on prime video and they're phenomenal. And uh, then he got picked up by the travel channel on discovery network. And they really, really loved his stuff and they wanted him to be the face of their show haunting the heartland. Oh yeah. And and then he went on from there. They wanted more. So they did this uh, docu-series about the, um, about the true story that inspired this movie Scream. And, uh, and now he's doing even more with them, and they, they just love him because what they've realized is that he's like the real deal. Well, Steve, uh, 
she believes that there is a one particular haunted hub in America. And all of his documentaries, they all take place within a 20-mile radius of that one haunted hub. Uh, and that's where I live. That is <laughs> where this building is. Um, it's right smack in the middle. So right next door, the building next door to this one has a documentary about it. The, the, <laughs> the building kitty corner from us has a documentary about it. The library a couple blocks that way has a documentary about it. It's, uh, and they're all paranormal investigations. It's, um, cool. it's like insanely haunted area. So one, this was uh, this particular spot in Michigan is like it, uh, it predates like westward expansion. It predates all of Michigan cities. It predates Detroit by a long shot. So this was all Native American tribes that settled down here first. And there's a particular reason for it. I'm going to do the Michigan thing. So uh, <laughs> you, know, you put your hand up and you look at the crevice between your thumb and your four, first finger. That's this big, huge bay coming off the Great Lakes. And then from that, if you look at all these cool little creases that run down your thumb, those are really big, beautiful rivers. And uh, uh, this is Saginaw, Saginaw, Michigan. Saginaw River comes right off of here. So um, it was a great place for tribes to, uh, to set up. And then what happened was all these kind of Europeans started coming this way and they started setting up here because they realized, oh, man, this one, we're off the lake. There's tons and tons and tons of forest up here. It's all forest. So a lot of loggers were sending their wood down the river and they'd be up here just lumbering away. Um, fur traders, like th this was just a hub. So this little area, Saginaw, became one of the very first, uh, uh, very first like westernized cities in this area long before Michigan was settled, long before it was a state. Um, and it was a big mix of uh, the Saginaw tribe that lived here and these Westerners who were making a living here. And this, um, this particular city became like, it became a hotspot for fun. So like at the end of the season, when you collected your money and you were done working on trees for, for a while, you know, um, you would come down here and all this little downtown area, all these buildings used to be old brothels and you would just be flush with cash. Everybody be spending money and there would just be drinks and prostitutes galore. And as a result, every year, bandits would come through here and they would mm. raid the town and they would shoot and kill everyone. <laughs> and they would yeah. take all of the money that was so flush here. So uh, even this building, this building was, uh, there's, it's right along the river. I can throw something out the window and it'll go in the water. And in between this building and the water are train tracks. So it's, it's double strong. And those train tracks, they, they've been here forever. Some of the first train tracks ever built in this area. And so uh, the train would come through here along the river and boats would come along the river. And this was a grocer's uh, warehouse. So all these groceries would get unloaded here. That's not exactly the type of place you rob. You know, give me all your lettuce. Right. right. <laughs> so, <laughs> this place has in it an original over 100-year-old vault downstairs. Big old vault with the door, everything. Mm. Huge. They protect their stuff. On top of that, there's hidden drop downs where, like, if you see the people coming, uh, you can take your cash and you can drop it through the secret slots in the floor and it would take it down into a secret room in the basement that if you went down in the basement, you wouldn't even know it was there. Oh, wow. You're still here, You're still here in this building. It's really cool. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, uh, I stuff happens in this building all the time. It's nuts. And uh, I eventually met Steve and um, it was really cool because uh, we hit it off right away. Uh, and 
he loves this area. He loves the city. And he'd never gotten to be inside this building before. So I was the first person that gets to kind of bring him in and show him around. And he knows the whole area. He knows he's literally done documentaries about every building around it. Um, so that was kind of cool. And then, uh, you know, eventually he confided in me as we started working together on some projects. He's like, I really want to open a haunted museum right here in Saginaw. And uh, I have been collecting for about 15 to 20 years, like all these items that I've taken from my investigations from these houses. I've taken, I've removed like cursed objects and possessed dolls and I've done like all this stuff and I have everything. It's like, I want to put it all in one place and I want to put up a bunch of, you know, protections. And, uh, and he's like, I'd love to have you involved. I'd love to have you do some artwork and do some graphic design and help me with signage and marketing so I can do this big opening, grand opening. And, it, and we did. And we, we uh, worked on it for months with him. And now it's open. It's awesome. I can see it out my window. It's super close. That's cool. Uh, yeah, he had to, yeah, of course, he picked the um, most haunted building you can find to put the museum in. And that is uh, the, the one like still standing original funeral home and mortuary in the city, like the oldest one in the city. Oh, so, wow. of course, it's notoriously haunted. While he's setting up the museum, He's not, he eventually is like, yeah, once I set it up, I want to do a documentary about the actual building. So my next documentary video will be about the museum, but mostly about the haunting of the museum. And that will be what will kick off the opening. I'm like, mm -hmm. That's genius, man. It's great. Mm -hmm. He's just trying to move his stuff in. He's not ready to shoot or film anything. He's not <laughs> even trying. All this crazy shit starts happening to him. Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's amazing the stories he had. Uh, I could go down. I can talk about that forever. There's a lot of stuff going on around here. <laughs> but to bring it back to Winchester Mystery House, um, I, 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 you know, I had one weird thing that was kind of interesting. And uh, I don't put a ton of stock in it, but it's so weird. Um, so I was walking through the house and I was taking photos for reference later for the comic. And when I went back through, I was downstairs, was leaving the house. I was going through and my camera roll, and there was a picture in my camera roll that I hadn't taken. And it was sandwiched between two photos I very much remember taking. So I just assumed it was a slip of the finger and I, I, an accidental photo I'd taken. Um, and based on the background, I could pretty much piece together what room it was in the house from what was before and after it. But the photo is has a rocking chair in it. And the rocking chair just looks off. You look at it and go, what? Why does the rocking chair look so weird? And if you look at it really close, you can see all of its 3D form. And then it has, it looks old and worn and ragged. Like there's some fabric on it, but the fabric is like torn and shredded and hanging off of it. And then if you follow your eyes around the side of this rocking chair, there's a point at which the rocking chair, it just fades into nothing and then it disappears and then it comes back together. Hmm. And it is the weirdest thing. And you look at it and I'll, so I'm staring at this going, well, that's, this has got to be a motion blur effect. You know, like I was, I, I hit the button with my thumb as I was walking. But what's odd is that it, that happens when things are really out of focus and like you're and it's really blurred. Rocking chair, while it looks off like it doesn't belong in the room and something's really strange about it, and part of it definitely disappears. The rest of it's really solid. Like you, you know, it's there. Yeah. And you know, I had showed some people downstairs. I was like, "Where is this rocking chair that I took this picture of?" And they're like, mm, "Nope, not here." I'm like, "No, this chair. Oh. The photo's from here." Like that's not in this house, and I'm like, no, the, no, I'm I'm sorry, we got from off start foot. Like the picture is definitely in the house. I know <laughs> it's in the house. I took it in the house. I I didn't realize I took it, but I did, and it was I could show the timestamp. It was like an hour ago. But what room is it in the house? They're like that. 
rocking chair is not in this house. And they were like, look at it. It's, a, it's all ragged mess. They're like, this whole house, take one note, you know, one thing you take away from it, everything is pristine. And that's true. Like it's Victorian era furniture, but it is spotless. It looks brand spanking new. Yeah. Everything in that house is beautiful, gorgeous. They don't let it collect dust. They don't let anything look dirty. It is beautiful the way that Sarah would have kept it. And uh, it's not meant to look like a spooky haunted house. You know, it's mm-hmm. meant to be her. So it's, um, yeah, I'm like, okay, I understand what you're saying. Yes, that chair looks out of place. And, but it's here. I could show you, I could figure out what room it is by looking at the background and looking at two photos. They're like, let's go up there right now. So we did. There was no rocking chair there. It's oh, man. Fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's ah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, you know, it was so strange to me. Uh, and so I, I was in, it's one of those things where you just kind of write off. You're like, I, I can't explain it, but it's just a photo of a chair at the end of the day. But it stuck with me so strongly that, you know, I did this, um, this I wrote this other comic, this one-shot story called The 100-Year Curse. It, it's, uh, it takes place in modern times in the house while, while these people are going through a, a tour. And, uh, and one girl on the tour named Jade, she starts seeing things in the house and she starts, when she touches certain things or, or she's in certain rooms, she's getting these flashback sequences and it's the house kind of revealing its memories to her. And so when those memories start to bleed into reality, she's not sure where she is anymore or what year it is. If it's, you know, 1900 or if it's, you know, 2022. So, uh, like, there's these moments in there. And one of them, I really kick it off. It gets stronger by showing a rocking chair in the story. And she, uh, she points to this rocking chair. She's like, look at this rocking chair. It looks so strange. It seems so out of place. And her friend's like, what rocking chair? There's no rocking chair in this room. And uh, for those who've read that comic, uh, that is entirely put there because of the rocking chair that I have this photo of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to kind of yeah, sneak in the story. It made me wonder if it was like, uh, um, since you don't remember taking the picture and everything, it makes me wonder if it was one of those, like you, there was a slight time slip that the spirit allowed that picture to be captured to tell you something or to try to show you something yeah. and here's what used to be here or here's what I experienced at some like is it are you supposed to learn something from that you know uh, it, is there something that you'll find out later that involves this chair or a rocking chair like that uh, not to put any weird paranoia in your head but uh, you might end up with something that explains that maybe not this year, but somewhere down the line. Right. It, I think I wouldn't be surprised if the house does little things like that all the time and that people just don't know it or they catch this glimpse of it, but then they go on with their, they leave, they leave their tour and they go on with their life and they'll never fully understand it. Mm-hmm. And like if somebody was there and could take all those little pieces and put them together like a puzzle. They'd get a picture of something much more than we know. I think that's uh I think it's very cool. I think there's something very much to it. Uh, and that's how it is, right? That's how, that's how the real paranormal is. It's these moments in time that are there that feel like they shouldn't be, that aren't meant to be. And you're getting a glimpse of something else, you know, a uh, different time, a different place. A person that no longer exists. Like all this is just kind of overlapping and you're just happen to be in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, um, as 
these rational human beings that have all declared, well, this is what's real and this is what's dream and this is what's, you know, the, the world and this is what isn't. This is what's science and this is what's supernatural. Like, we're just so boxed in and black and white that we don't know what to do with those experiences. So yeah. our brains just tuck them away mm-hmm. so that we can move on because if we dwell on it too much, we'll lose our minds because we won't know what's real anymore. And, uh, and I, that's sad because uh, I feel yeah. like, I feel like, we're only using a small percentage of our brain. And what if, what if when those moments happen, it was just another little part of our brain lit up. If there was some electrical energy that was sparking that allowed us to see things that we're always meant to see. And we're, we're just can't, you know, we can't, you know what I'm saying? I, I feel like, um, I had, and I will not betray her confidence because, uh, can't do that to any human being but i just came from a really big convention in new york where i had a big massive huge backdrop behind me of the winchester mystery house and i had this cool little stand and uh people could just come up and they could take pictures with this giant piece of art and they could just talk to me about the comics and they can just hang out and chat and it was really nice and that's why my voice is so rough is because i spent a week just talking about this with people and i met the most fascinating person and uh, she works in a dementia ward. And here we have these, we have these people whose brains are just crumbling. And um, all, uh, all these electrical impulses that are going through their brains, they're not firing on all cylinders. They're going places they're not supposed to. They're reacting in different ways. And she has had more paranormal experiences on that dementia ward than anyone. She has seen things or witnessed things and watched them. The things that you easily write off to as dementia, you start to realize, man, maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. They talk about the other people in the room with you. Maybe they're seeing other people in the room with you. Yep. And when they keep starting to repeat certain names that aren't people that they knew from their past, that aren't memories that are stuck in their head, that they're, they're people that are around them that, that they talk to every day that interact with them. And then you start, you're with these people long enough to start to see the patterns. You start to wonder, maybe this part of the brain that's seen reality here with us is starting to crumble, but maybe there's another part that's opened up. We actually talked about that, uh, Matt and I did in some episode. I can't remember which one it was, but my great-grandmother went through dementia and I helped take care of her as she was dying. And one of the things that we talked about is they say, and you know, the, the, they, um, whenever you're close to dying, that you get visits from relatives to kind of help ease you into death. And one of the things that we were talking about is what if dementia patients, we, we call it dementia but it's because we don't understand that the parts of your brain that aren't here anymore are living in the afterlife and you switch between the two. And so when you're back here in the part of your brain that is here, you're recalling stuff that you did or uh, witnessed from the part of your brain that's in the afterlife. And dementia can be a very slow build or it can be pretty quick and 
it on the slow ones, what if just little pieces are moving over to whatever the afterlife is? And the more that gets over there, the less you're in this world and the more you're in that world, but you're still able to communicate back and forth between the two parts of your brain. That's why we as humans don't under, as humans, as fully, fully in this world, people don't understand what they're witnessing on the other side. And we're calling it dementia, but maybe it's just a a slower progression into the afterlife than what a lot of people experience as just a quick boom there. You're in it. What if it's a, it's like a, an hourglass that's slowly draining you to the afterlife. But because the strand of sand that goes from one side to the other is still connected as it's falling, information is able to travel back and forth. And there's been people talk about, like you said, these people are, are talking to their relatives that are in the room and Mm -hmm. you're like, no, they're, they're not here. My great-grandmother did that. My great-grandmother talked to her husband who had passed away already. And we're like, no, grandpa's not here. Yeah, he is. He, he's talking to me. He, he, and you're like, don't know whether they're lucid or not. Maybe they are fully lucid. They're telling the truth, but we can't see it because our brains are fully here and theirs are not. Theirs are split. That's what's so fascinating about about that that theory too, which I think is perfect explanation, is that one of the things that has been most documented throughout history that we can all kind of agree on is that uh, spirits. Whenever there's these these stories of ghosts, they're oftentimes seen reliving different moments from their past, right? So you might say like, oh wow, like this one particular ghost is always seen in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. right? So like a ghost is kind of trapped in these different moments in its own history as time, right? Its own life. So even when a person with dementia is reliving parts of their past as well, uh, like say maybe they're really stuck on like this car that they, they keep talking about. It's a car that they had when they were a teenager. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in when we talk about ghosts, like we might see a ghost always hanging around that one bus stop that they were at when they were a kid. What if they're doing the same thing? What if those moments that so so they've got one foot in on either side of this veil, and that kind of ghost side of them is the side that's reliving these old memories in their mm-hmm. brain, the same way that a ghost who's fully on that side does. Right. And then at the same time, you know, they've also they like you said, they've got the, the other loved ones around them. They've got people they don't even know around them. They've got, you know, they've, they've, they're able to interact with people we can't see. So they're, they're doing both. They're basically, they're living the life of a ghost while they're still alive. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. Makes you wonder like what we as living people are, are capable of is seeing and interacting with if we had, if we were able to tap into that the same way that they are in this, in this kind of, you know, mental decline. It's, um. Oh yeah, I think it's I think it's 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 heartbreaking too at times. I was in a uh, I was in a movie. So I, for those who haven't seen my IMDb, I've got a, like a, a big weird scattering of movie credits. Like there's like oh there's like pr- producing credits and then writing credits and then there's acting and all this. 
Um, uh, and I acted in this one movie called Schism. And uh, uh, I'm pretty proud of that film. It went on to win a bunch of awards, but it was, uh, it was about specifically about dementia. And uh, they shot that movie on site at a real dementia work. And they had to like clear it out part of it so that we were, we were all, all of us, the cast were uh, escorted through functioning parts of the dementia ward to get to the wing that we were filming in. And so we of course had to like have all these passcodes to get, you know, to get in through doors. And then we'd have to get through parts of it very quickly and then close it because all these, you know, residents were right there in front of you. Um, and we would have to be escorted in case the residents kind of, you know, acted up. And it was, uh, it was such a humbling experience. You know, every day on the way to set, uh, I'd be walking through a dementia ward and people would, you know, they'd be coming up to me in the dementia ward, you know, residents would be mistaking me for people in their past or, or, you know, confused about who I was or, or some of them, they seemed to know me immediately mm-hmm. in ways that they couldn't possibly know me. It was mind blowing. And every time when this happened, it was very, it was startling and it, and at the same time, it was really fascinating. So I was, I, I looked into them and I, you know, I've seen people in mental decline and I've seen people on, on horrific drugs and I've seen people on their way out, right? When they're about to die, right? And, and you kind of like, there's like a life that's kind of lost in them, uh, in their eyes. These people, they did not have that. Right. Yes, they were, I know that they were probably on their way out the door and I know that they were deep into their dementia and that's why they were there. But you looked at them and they were looking back with, at you with so much clarity and confidence. They were so certain in what they were seeing and saying. Uh, and even if you couldn't understand it. So even those that, that were so far gone that, that, that words were no longer words that we could recognize, you could tell there was intent in their voice. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, and it just sticks with you. And I feel like there's so much we still don't know. Yep, there is. And Matt and I talked just before getting on with you, we, um, did a Patreon and we were talking about the fact that it's something we've mentioned many times in the past, but our ancestors were able to do so much more like telepathically or whatever. And we have lost it because we are so busy and we're so technological that we don't delve into that part of the brain that worked with something telepathic. There, there were tribes that could telepathically communicate with other tribe members that were dozens of mm-hmm. miles away and know where they were and when they were coming home and all this. And we have that innate ability, but only a few of us, a, a little smattering throughout the world, know how to tap into that. And those are the ones we call mediums or telepaths because they know how to do that still. And we don't. And I think it's because we have, we've gotten so busy in our advanced life with cell phones and all that, that that takes up the part of our brain that the more, like maybe we had more than, more senses than we think we do more than touch and smell and sight. And maybe we had telepathy and levitation or, or something that now we've lost. Mm-hmm. Scary part is 
it's so it's so exciting and fascinating thinking about the possibilities and what we're capable of. But I had a feeling we're just heading the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, like damn, I feel like I'm getting dumber every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of finish it up here, Josh. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and find your work and all that. And I'll get the links from you so that I can put it in the show notes. But, uh, why don't you tell everybody just kind of where they can find you, get in touch with you or anything along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my handle on, on social media is always the same. It's, uh, Joshua frantic, F A R N T I C all, uh, Joshua frantic, all one word. So you can find me on, on uh, Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. I actually have, uh, if you go to my TikTok, you're going to see a ton of like behind the scenes videos of me traveling to all these different conventions. And, uh, and you'll see videos around this office even. And you'll see some videos of the Haunted Museum in, the, in, in Saginaw, Michigan here and a bunch of other cool stuff. So um, there's like, if you're into nerd stuff and comic books and horror, Oh my goodness, there's a ton of it. Um, and then I, I'm the editor-in-chief of SourcePoint Press. You go to our website, sourcepointpress.com. You can also find us on Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook and all those places. Uh, we, uh, we do books and comics and graphic novels, and we also have games and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, I'm very lucky. I get to travel around a lot. So if you ever want to reach out, and just let me know where you're from. I'll let you know when I'm going to be in your area because eventually I always make it there. Um, this year I've been in Denver, Dallas, Calgary, Toronto, Boston, New York, uh, LA, uh, everywhere. So, and I'm not done. I'm not, I just got back to New York. I'm getting ready to go to Orlando. And then after that, I'm on my way to uh, be on the movie set of a film we're shooting uh, based on one of our comics in Santa Fe. And then as soon as I leave there, I head to San Francisco. So I, my, my travel is not up yet. Uh, if you're into the, if you're into the comics, if you want to check out Winchester mystery house, uh, volume one is out. It collects issues one, two, and three it covers about the first 10 years of the house. And there's also a one shot comic out there called the hundred year curse. Unfortunately it's sold out most everywhere. Uh, but I, it, so Simon Schuster sold out diamond comic distributors sold out. We're sold out, but, uh, Barnes and Noble sold out, but I think Amazon still has some left. I think they're down to like 20 copies. So if you act, qu act quick, you might be able to get your hands on one. And um, uh, we got a second printing on the way. And then volume two will come out right after that. So there's more to come. So yeah, you can find us all over the internet. And if you just, you can just Google me and you'll find all sorts of stuff I've worked on. Oh yeah. I can't wait for volume two, man. I'm, I'm stoked about getting to read that one, especially after, especially after our conversation tonight and everything we covered and you said, well, just wait till volume two. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Yeah, that's right. So I've done a lot of podcast interviews recently, but I can say, uh, I have said more about volume two on your show tonight than I have anywhere else. So, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you're, 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 you're getting a, a sneak peek of what volume two yeah, is going to entail. Graveyard tales exclusive right here. <laughs> so, Thank you, Josh, so much for yeah. uh, taking time out of your day and uh, coming on Graveyard Tales and talking with us about it. And we, nobody knows it. I'll go ahead and spill it here. We had to reschedule because we had some issues on our end. So I appreciate the flexibility to do that. Um, and we're 
we're excited to get to put this up as part of our October Halloween month uh, episodes. So um, really do appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. It's been great talking to you. I can't wait till the day I get to meet you in person, brother. Yeah, it's going to happen. We'll hang out. And uh, thanks for having me. This was a blast. You guys are awesome. We'll come up and tour your haunted uh, building up there that you're in. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I hope that you enjoyed that interview and discussion with Josh. Um, we can't thank Josh enough for coming on and being another episode here in our spooky month in October uh, for Halloween month. And I, I mean, I just can't say enough. It, it's cool to know Josh and it's awesome what he does. Oh, yeah. And what I think is so great is that it shows that if, if you're if you're into spooky stuff, if you're into the paranormal ghosts and whatnot, if, if that trips your trigger, um, and you want to be a creator, you, you don't have to put a microphone in front of your face to be a, an amazing creator in this genre. Right. Um, you know, not all of us are, are Stephen King. Um, you know, not all of us have, you know, the, the guts to take up a microphone or, or even the desire. Um, but so many other, uh, other people out there have put their talents into this genre. Uh, and I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right. So thank, thank you everybody for listening. Don't forget to um, check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can join our Facebook group. It is called the graveyard. It is a great place to have discussions like this, to share personal experiences. And it's completely private. It's, it's only within the group. No one there is going to poke fun of you. Uh, it's a safe place to to share those type of stories and have fun. Um, go check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And when we, we uh, mentioned earlier how important uh, those uh, Patreon donations came in, uh, not just for this show, but the you know the, the just the previous shows and and everything else we've done because we couldn't have done it without you guys. So uh, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.